This is episode 113 of Offscript with Trish Close, intimate interviews with interesting people. Joining me via Skype today, I have Jessica Cruzan, a brewer at Deschutes Brewery in Oregon. Yay, Oregon. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you today? Okay, I'm doing well. So in one of your emails, you said you wanted to make the time to talk at 10 o'clock so you could defog. Are you like a graveyard shift? Like what? what's your shift? Yeah, right now I'm working a weekend graveyard. So it's 6 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. Why? <laughs> Why on earth are you um, working that shift? So we run our brew house. We are considered a 24-6 brewery. Okay. And... Uh, so we've all got to be there at all hours of the day. And with the brew house running as often as it does, we've also got to make sure that tanks are ready mm-hmm. or packaging is ready to take the beer. And um, so we all have to be there. Right. Okay. We're going to talk about Deschutes because it's not only incredibly popular in the state of Oregon, but around the globe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk about that. Well, actually, you're going to talk about that. Um okay. <laughs> but I do want to, uh, I want to know how you got to the spot that you're in being a brewer at um, a pretty awesome brewery. But first, Jessica, where are you from originally? I am from Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana, northwest corner. What? My parents actually lived in Shreveport for about a year. It's a lovely town. Oh, it was a really great place to grow up. And um, as of seven years ago, they have a really amazing brewery there that I also got to work at briefly. What brewery is that? It's called Great Raft Brewing. Oh, okay. What was it like growing up in Shreveport? Oh, it was, we were very family focused. So a lot of time was spent at our house cooking and Hmm. just spending time together. My dad was former Air Force. um, So we had a big community there. but yeah, we did a lot of normal things. We did swim team and my parents just tried to keep us active and keep us distracted. <laughs> awesome. Did you go to uh, university college in Shreveport? Because there's a school there, right? There's Centenary there. I did not go to school there, but okay. uh, it is a great school. Where did you go to school? I went to school in center uh, at Center College in the middle of Kentucky. Oh, okay. Was there a reason for going to this school? It's a small liberal arts school. I was looking around for that, and I was trying to spend some time away from Louisiana as well. <laughs> did you know? Did you know what you wanted to be like in high school? Were you one of those kids that like this is exactly what I'm gonna I'm gonna do when I grow up? No. No, I was so indecisive. I didn't want to narrow it down ever. I didn't want to ever like get rid of options or have to specif- specify like what I was gonna do. Okay, so what were you looking at then? Well, there's a reason I was going to a liberal arts school because I wasn't sure exactly how I wanted to do everything. Um, And I got there. And of course, I ended up doing uh, math and economics. So it ended up being very uh, science oriented as well. Okay. So then talk to me about your path from not really knowing what you wanted to do to going, okay, yeah, I'm going to brew beer for a living. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a a little bit of a path, right? So my dad is definitely a gateway there. Like we would talk a lot about beer and just kind of like, because he was very much a um, Sierra Nevada pale ale guy, grew up in that era where it became very big. Okay. And so when we started to discover craft beer and we would talk about flavors, talk a lot about just IPAs. Um, So it was curious about it by the time I graduated college and then I ended up moving to D.C., uh, to work for three years. Um, and at nights in DC, I would work at a beer bar and that's where I started to discover that there were other styles besides IPAs and, um, got to learn how to talk to people about beer because I was serving these styles and trying to describe them to the folks before they ended up drinking them. And, um, while I was there, that's when I ended up deciding that the career that I was in wasn't really going the direction that I wanted it to go. And, uh, I applied to beer school out at UC Davis. Okay, we have to talk about beer school. But first, <laughs> I was going to ask if growing up, if beer was a theme or, you know, in your family at all. It sounds like dad's a beer drinker. Yeah, dad and my mom as well. But okay. like my dad and I definitely had more discussions about it. Uh, we always had uh, the green beer and that was uh, the pale ale out in the garage. Nice, nice. So yeah. in college, I mean, 
I know what my college days looked like, but were you a beer drinker in school and college? So, oh yeah, I would say that I would drink more beer in college than anything else. We had this small, I went to school in a little town called Danville, Kentucky. It's about 14,000 people. And so there's this place that was like a, a little hole in the wall called the beer engine that opened up my last year or two of college. And it was a lot of fun to go down there. And they had a lot of like very small brews from different places in Kentucky. And they even did a little bit of their own, but they didn't call themselves a brewery exactly. Okay. So it kind of started with dad then. I love that, that this all started kind of with dad, right? Yeah, totally. No, okay. he absolutely was the, one of the people that was like, you know, beer is cool. <laughs> it is cool. It's, it's super cool, especially when you start to really get into it. So I went to school in Reno and as you know, Sierra Nevada is just sort of a little trip away. So we actually in school, I think it was my senior year, we took a trip to Sierra Nevada and did the whole tour. And mm -hmm. that just sort of confirmed my love of beer because I've always been a big fan of it. But yeah. you go to DC, is this after school, after you graduate? Yes, I've graduated and moved to DC at this point. Is there a reason why you moved to DC? Were you just sort of floating at this point? I, like many college grads, was kind of going for any job that I could get. Um, it worked out that I got an excellent job and got to spend three years up there uh, working uh, for the Washington Post doing fact-checking and research. Oh, wow. Okay, that's different. Yeah, it was very different than what I'm doing right now. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Um, but talk to me about this beer bar that you worked in. Was it just like mm. a crazy amount of beers on tap? I mean, had you ever been into a place like this? Tell me about it. So it's called the Beer Baron, and it was formerly known as the Brick Skeller, and it's like DC beer legend, uh, come to find out. I didn't know this at the time. Um, but I lived around the corner from it in my apartment, and um, it was really funny. My brothers were visiting for the first time, and we – went over there, I had just newly moved to DC. And we walk in and it's got 500 bottles, 24 rotating taps. Um, and we sat down to start tasting things, had some really good conversations with the bartender. And my brother was like, you have to work here. It's so cool. And the manager came down and handed me an application on the spot. Wow, <laughs> meant to be, yeah. Jessica, meant to be. So <laughs> you worked there for three years, you said? I worked there um, on and off for the okay. three years that I was there, and it was more of a night time gig. Sure. What did you learn working there about beer? Uh, I learned what a Hefeweizen is, which was <laughs> And how to spell it. Did you learn how to spell it, too? Uh, oh, I still don't think I know how to spell it. <laughs> um, yeah, I learned a lot about, like I said, communication and how to communicate flavors, and I thought that was a really neat thing to learn. I also was super intrigued by the process that you can start with like four of the same ingredients essentially and then do different things to them and come out with all of these styles that um, are constantly still changing uh, and we're adding to them as well. So that was kind of like it almost wet my appetite to look into beer more, which ended up setting me up well for and ultimately applying to beer school. So at what point though, what was your aha moment? What was it like, okay. I need to go to beer school. Did you even know beer school existed? I did not know that existed until just now this interview. No way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did because I was, uh, you know, you'd read about it and like the people, other folks in the bar, you talk about like how people become brewers and how you break into that industry because sure, depending on where you are and who you know, like you can totally break into the industry. But I, as I am a person who likes to have as much information as possible um, before I go into anything. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, if I'm gonna really do this, I need to like sit down and study and I'm sure that there's a lot more to it. Like, and also microbiology was never one of my strong suits. So I was like, someone's gotta talk to me about this who actually knows. Um, I know it, just living in Southern Oregon, there's a lot of you know breweries down here, microbreweries, nanobreweries. And uh, a friend of mine actually, who I've interviewed um, for this podcast said it all started for him as a home brewer, which you see that a lot, right? Especially a few years ago. That's a huge, yeah, that's a story that happens all the time. And I did homebrew a couple of times in DC. I had a 300 square foot apartment though, and I was doing single gallon batches and it was so much work for 
pretty much no reward. <laughs> right, exactly. But yeah, a lot of people, that's how they break in. And, you know, they have friends of theirs going, this is really good. You should open up a brewery. And it's like, okay. Um, so as you- way to waste money. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's exactly what my friend said. <laughs> he's like, it's kind of a waste of money. Um, but now he's very successful in, in his brewery. So that that's definitely good news. So you're researching all of this. And do you discover beer school in your research that this actually exists? Yeah, in my like, side reading okay. of different things, like I would read a uh, tasting beer by Randy Mosher. And I think he mentions the Siebel Institute as well as UC Davis. And UC Davis is just kind of like in that realm, a little bit of a household name. Oh, they're the Mecca, right? If you want to exactly. make wine, if you want to make cheese, I mean, that that's it. There you go. Mm -hmm. Totally. So when do you decide to go to beer school at UC Davis? What year um, was I was approaching my three-year mark at my job. Okay. And was... I was doing a lot of different things. I was like looking at other jobs, kind of trying to decide like how I wanted to progress mm -hmm. essentially I didn't really know I was like am I going to stay in DC because I know that if I left DC I was not going to go back right um so in the process of all of that like things just never really felt quite right and then I emailed uh, UC Davis and I was like I have these credits is it still cool if I apply for this uh this like this master brewer certification, like, are you going to accept these credits? And they were like, absolutely. And I said, oh, I never thought I was qualified to do this. Awesome. And so as soon as I found out I was qualified to apply, I immediately did it. And, um, and then as soon as I found out that I got in, I was like, well, now I have to do this. Yeah. There's no way to not. For sure. East coast girl moving to the West coast, just like that. Yeah. May That's I right. ask how old were you when you applied and got in? 25 okay probably so i mean i would say super young a lot of people are like oh you know i've i've i missed out on those last few years i should have done it four years ago or whatever but mm -hmm. did you feel at this point in the game your age you were like this is right where i'm supposed to be yes i it felt very very right at the time awesome what year was this did you go what year are we talking what year is it right? It's 2020, 20, I applied in 2018 and went in 2019, starting in like uh, January, 2019. So you're like fresh out of beer school. I'm brand new. <laughs> I mean, brand spanking new. So what did you learn? What did you learn in beer school that you didn't think that you had to learn? Like the microbiology, for instance, because there's a science to making beer, 100%. Yeah. I think that I learned more about the balance between there's a very hard science line, but like with brewing, there's also like a very much kind of like a, a cooking aspect rather than baking where you're like, oh, you know, like I can do a couple of different things differently and it'll yeast and beer are all very resilient and, um, and something really neat can come from that. Okay. So when you get out of beer school, I mean, obviously the first you know, the first next step is to find a job, to get paid for what you've been learning. So tell me how that worked. Did you apply everywhere? Did you know exactly where you wanted to go? I had some ideas of where I wanted to be. Um, I definitely wanted to be on this side of the country. Um, I missed mountains and forests and all these things when I was in DC. Um, my mom and I actually did a road trip out to Bend and then back down to Davis when I first started school and I got to visit Deschutes among, a lot of, among like 20 other breweries mm -hmm. along the way. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, Deschutes is great. Like that is totally a pipe dream right there. Like that would be an amazing company to work for. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I'm in school and it's a six month program and we're about the four month mark and Deschutes is going to come down and interview for interns and they're going to interview at the four year program and at the six month program as well as at OSU. Whoa. And uh, I sent in my resume and went in with a handful of other people that were in the program and interviewed. And uh, when I was at the Craft Brewers Conference that year, I got a call from uh, the guys that had interviewed me and they were like, hey, we'd like to offer you this position. And I was pretty stoked. <laughs> uh, yeah, beyond stoked. What were your first impressions on Bend? Well, it was January, so there was snow everywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, a 
my first impression was that all these people want to just drink and be outside no matter how cold it is. <laughs> that's Oregon for we, you. Uh, those are we went far. That's just all fire pits outside. And I'm yeah. like, it is 20 degrees. I don't want to be here. Yeah, that's so funny because that, that was my impression too of, of Bend that all of these brewer uh, breweries that we went to, all these people who had either jogged there or mm-hmm. biked there or had just gone on a hike and drinking beer. And that is the theme, outside and beer, done. Right, that's exactly right. <laughs> what were some of your favorites? Just curious. And I, I mean, I guess maybe I've been to Bend once, but tell me, you know, for those folks who are listening that have never been to Oregon, I mean, there's breweries everywhere. Oh yeah, you can literally turn a corner and probably walk into a brewery. Right. And they probably all worked at the other breweries along the way of opening up that newer brewery. Yeah. What is it about the state of Oregon that has has drawn so many people here to start up a brewery and make beer? Do you know? Uh I can I can uh I don't know, speculate, I guess having uh, not being an Oregonian at all. Sure. Um, but I think that we're pretty close to uh, a lot of agriculture. We are super close to like where all the hops are being grown. So you're kind of in it. The water here is amazing also. Um, and you know, like Vancouver, like great Western malting is right over in Vancouver, Washington. So there's just, you're pretty close to a lot of uh, things. So like supply is pretty easy. We spend a lot of time, especially right now, it's a, it's hop harvest season. So we go and like send brewers out to like pick up these uh, wet hops and uh, throw them in our beer the same day. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So your first impression though of of Oregon beer being in Bend, I mean, were you just, were you sold? Was it like anything, you know, nothing you'd ever tasted before? Well, Bend was legendary in uh, in Washington, in Washington D.C. We okay. would like try beer from Oregon and the West Coast, and like you look at it and be like, "This is from Bend, Oregon." Oh, my God. like what is this place? And so it's one of those things where it's like you hear about it, and then you eventually get there, and you're like, "There is literally beer everywhere here." Mm-hmm. This is, and like, and it's a lot of different styles as well, and like just a lot of people have their own like take on a lot of what's going on. Like we've got like small breweries like Ale Apothecary in Bend, and they do very small batch barrel aged mm-hmm. um forest i would almost say wilderness inspired beers mm-hmm. uh, and then you've got places like deschutes that are just cranking it out big time in fact <laughs> before i i read this this is on deschutes website when when you were offered that job your first thought you're lying <laughs> at deschutes when, when you said when they said hey we want you yep. to join our team what 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 was your first reaction uh, well, I asked if they were serious, and then I probably <laughs> almost started crying, but that would have not been an appropriate reaction to these, uh, uh these future co-workers on the phone. Sure. Are you serious? Are you for real? Yeah, are you really sure you want this to happen? So, uh, I just want to read this. This is on Deschutes, uh, uh their brewery, on, on one of the pages on their website. As co-owners of Deschutes, we're proud to be family and employee-owned. We are dedicated to our core values, which are blow our customers' minds, love it or dump it, one team, one dream, time for better is now, crafted for our community, celebrate and own it. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of the best mission statements I've ever read. It's pretty thorough and it really touches on a lot of things that are important to us for sure. So love it or dump it, what's that? Uh, you know, it's got to be good. We've got to want to drink it before we send it out there. And we, it's also part of our job. It's really, really tough, but we've got to taste all the tanks before they go to packaging. Um, so like, uh, and we've got a really amazing sensory program going on too. And so like they really make sure we've got consistent flavors and we're sending customers the best possible product out there. Okay. So as you are working on this job, how, how long have you been working at Deschutes to date? Uh, a little over a year. Okay. So when you start, I'm assuming a ton of training, right? From the mm-hmm. get-go. Mm-hmm. So, but what are you doing? What is your job there? I know you're a brewer, but what does that mean? Walk me through a day. So 
the way that we have it set up, we've got like three major areas that you have to be trained in. One of them is called tanks, which is where you train first. And that's basically you are either prepping tanks to receive wort and yeast, or you are cleaning the tanks once they're done being used. And there's a, a lot involved with that. There's a lot of like looking at the schedule, seeing what's coming up, being flexible, being quick. Um, so that's mostly what tanks says. So the other, another one is called transfers, and that's where you're kind of messing with yeast. You're getting rid of it when it needs to be uh, taken out of the tank. And you're also, uh, m the major thing is that you're centrifuging the beer on its way to the bright tank. So it's ready for packaging. And then the other one is obviously brewing. So you're in Hootman, our Hootman brew house, which is our 150 barrel brew house. And you are just making sure that all the automation is running properly. You're doing the things that we need humans to do in certain steps. And, um, so when you come in for a day, you're assigned to one of these three areas pretty much. And uh, you have your like main responsibility. So you're working with at least two other people and uh, hopefully keeping open communication lines uh, the whole time. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so for you right now, like you said, you're kind of that, you're, well, you are that graveyard shift. Is it a lot of babysitting too? Just making sure everything's cooking like it's supposed to? In Hootman, definitely. In okay. the brew house, like, I always feel like I am babysitting the brewery and just making sure, like, what I, like, will, like, walk away to do a hop gather because we still use a lot of, uh, like, whole cone hops. And so I'll go to a gather, and then some alarm's going to start going off, and then I have to say, oh, my God, what are you doing now? What do you need from me? <laughs> Someone's in trouble. There's a beer yeah. in trouble. Um, and for some, how many brewers are there at Deschutes? So it's been a little bit in flux lately. Oh, I think we've got about 13 to 15. We have an intern right now in training, which is awesome. Okay. Um, so we have a we have enough to cover our shifts That's at good. the moment. We are a skeleton crew right now, though. Gotcha. Okay. That's heard around the country, I think, right now. Right. Um, are you the only female? No. I... As far as brewers go, there is another female working who also went to beer school with me, actually. Awesome. But this is beer brewing is a fairly male dominated career. Yeah, there's a there's a ton of men. Um, I it's, it's not an unfamiliar place for me to be in. I majored in math and econ. I was in departments with a lot of men most of the time. I've got two brothers <laughs> growing up that prepared um, you. <laughs> Yeah, they definitely prepared me. Um, but we don't have, like, honestly, right now, we have a really amazing team. And we all work together pretty well. And we all communicate really well. And we're all super supportive of each other. Perfect. And it's been a really nice thing to see, especially, like, during all of the things that have happened this year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, tell me about it. Is there something that women bring to the table, brewing, that maybe men don't? I mean, just kind of throwing it out there. I don't know if... if in your discussions or in your job, if, if someone's mentioned like, huh, we've never thought about that before, Jessica? Yeah, I think that um, it really depends. I think it's really, you just hire for personality and fit. And I think sometimes women can have like certain personality traits that maybe are more common, maybe not. Um, I, I have not particularly noticed that I bring a lot of things to the table specifically as a woman, but I think coming uh, at a younger age and like going through beer school and kind of sitting back and learning what I can from those who have spent a lot of time work moving up in the business. And I think that that meeting of the minds is a really, really powerful tool to have like both perspectives in that sense. Beautiful. Uh, what are you guys brewing right now? Is there like a huge long list of beer that's happening right now as we speak? Totally. Yeah. Like, we uh so we always brew fresh squeeze we've got fresh haze little squeezy we've got wowza inversion like i can just start naming brands for you we're just like cranking them out um we just finished our summer seasonal which was neon daydream and moved on to chain breaker which is back after four years of being gone okay. so that's neat and uh as of a couple weeks ago we started making our first batches of jubilee for this year oh you just got me all <laughs> excited all warm and fuzzy inside Jubilee yeah. just reminds me of holidays. I don't know why. I just think about like, you know. It's a spectacular beer. It's not too heavy. It's actually my favorite beer that we brew. 
Um, and I didn't have it growing. I didn't have it until I moved to Bend, which was pretty neat. Fantastic. So who comes up with the names of these beers? It's a, it's, so Deschutes is huge. <laughs> it's one of the largest companies I've ever worked for. So it kind of just happens in, in different ways. And there's always stories behind different ways. Like Fresh Squeezed was because of just like people talking about how it tasted like freshly squeezed mm -hmm. orange juice. And like when they made it down to the pub and then they were like, oh, you know, we can call this Fresh Squeezed. And like little did we know it was going to start the entire like Fresh family over there. Um, I think Wowza had something to do with sports that kind of like happened right before I got there. Neon Daydream, I'd actually honestly like to know who named it because I think that, that name came out pretty, pretty amazingly. Yeah. Okay. Well, you find out and you let me we'll know. work on that. <laughs> yeah. And then what do you think it is about Deschutes specifically? I mean, it has a cult following. It's really funny that you say that because I definitely think I participated in that a little <laughs> bit before I got here. And now that I'm here, I'm like, oh, you know, we've just been around for a while. No one really thinks about us. Like, we're just over here making beer and someone's buying it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think it's it's been around for so long and it's been in or close to the top 10 craft breweries as far as like barrelage numbers go um, for many, many years. And I mean, it was the first brewery in Bend. I think, uh, like Gary fish just saw a need mm -hmm. the, uh, for a place to gather and for people, something for people to gather around. And I think that the fact that we started that way and that's like still our mission is probably something that's helping keep that cult following. If you say that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, I think so just because I'm from South Carolina. And so when I go home to visit, and my brother takes me to a brewery in South Carolina, and this is nothing against the breweries in South Carolina, but I'm just like, you call this an IPA? Give me a break. I've turned into one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> it just really depends on who's drinking it, right? Like, like, sometimes I'll taste a pale ale, and I'm like, holy moly, this should just be a double IPA. What did you do? <laughs> so, so what is it, though? I mean, because... We are beer snobs in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. We are. It's, yeah. I don't know, you, you live out here for a while and it just happens to you, especially if you're a beer drinker. Yeah. And I think you just start to discover like what specifically you like and your what you like is also influenced by all the people that you're around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all just feed off each other and then it starts to escalate and then you get beers that are like quadruple dry hopped and, uh, who knows what else? Right, exactly. And I want to talk about that, some of the processes that go into making beer. Um, but first, I do want to say there are a ton of great local breweries. I'm actually thrilled to see every time I go visit my family in the South, my mom is like, here's a new one, here's a new one. This one's from North Carolina. This one's from South Carolina. So I will say they have upped their game in the South when it comes to making beer. And across the country, right? I feel like pretty much everywhere you go, there's like a little brewery down the street. Absolutely. Um, there, you, it's really hard to go to a town and not find a brewery. We, uh, we have a place that we go up in Arkansas for many years. We like vacationed up in this cabin. And uh, within the last five years, we were like, is there a brewery nearby? And there was one within 30 minutes. No way. That's crazy. It's just like all around a hill and like all the locals were hanging out there and then we walk in like 12 people deep and they're like, we've never had this many people in our building before. <laughs> That's awesome. So walk me through the beer process. Like, and I've heard how beer is made a couple of times and it's super fascinating, but walk me through the process, especially at Deschutes, because this is large scale. Right. What um, happens first? So what happens first? We start with raw materials. I mean, we can just start right there. We've obviously got our water, uh, which is gen genuinely just city water. Uh, we've got uh, silos full of malt. Um, so there's some silos out back and those get mm -hmm. filled uh, almost on a daily basis uh, because we're running through some of it so much. And then we've got uh, hot bales and T90 pellets. So our hot bales are whole cone hops and they come in 200 pound large wrapped <laughs> things wow. that you have to cut into and then separate out by weight. 
uh, depending on the beer that we're brewing. So we've got all those raw materials and we've got them all up depending on the recipe that we're doing up in the brew house. And uh, you'll just, what you start with is that you're going to mash in and that's just going to be a process. We use a wet mill and uh, you're going to grind up the malt and this time it's going to have like a steeping step. And then you get into the mash tun and it's in the, you know, you mix, you mix in the hot, hot liquor and some salts for the water pH and uh, the malt at that point in time. And so it's just like, it's basically a big bowl of like what, oatmeal, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you start there. And then uh, once that's done uh, doing its thing, you know, like you're turning starches into sugar for the yeast, essentially, at that point. And so then you're going to pump it over to the lauter ton. And what's really neat about our brew house is that because it's so large, you've got all this piping in the basement. So like you see the vessels and it's super clean on top. But then there's all this pipework underneath where the beer is moving, like between all these vessels. So then we're going to move over to the water ton, which is essentially going to be a big sieve that is going to take most of the all the grain out. And so then you're just going to get that liquid, that that sugar water, that wort. And uh, once you do that, it goes over to the kettle, and the kettle's where you do the boiling. Mm-hmm. And we have a pressurized kettle which helps uh, because we're about at 4,000 feet. So like the pressurization helps the boil. And that's where you'll add uh, your bittering hops and some other hop, uh, some other salts. And, you know, depending on, depending on the beer, you're going to add like roll flock, which is just going to help it clear up eventually. Um, so then you do a series of boils in the kettle. And then we're going to move over to, we're going to move through the hop strainer to, take out any of the hops that we added at that point in time. And then we're going to go into the whirlpool where we spin it or you pump it in at such a, in such a way that it spins and you get most of the uh, proteins and other things that have come out of solution and they collect into the center. And then you pump back through the hop strainer for a last edition of hops called what we call a fifth pass. And uh, then it goes through the wort chiller and out into the cellar where it goes into a fermenter. How long is it in the fermenter before you guys, uh, are you bottling these days or is it all can? We are bottling and canning and kegging. So we've got a series of basically three packaging lines that run at any given time. And uh, it's in a fermenter for a couple of weeks and uh, then we will transfer it to a bright tank. We'll also dry hop while it's in the fermenter before we go to a bright tank. Uh, And the bright tank is just like once you've centrifuged it and you're ready to make sure it's carbonation is accurate and like it's turbidity is like within the specifications and uh, the dissolved oxygen is in within specifications. And like that's kind of like our last point of touching it before it goes to packaging. Gotcha. A bunch of scientists, you guys. (laughs) You guys and We are very scientific about a handful of things. So, so at what point in the state, in, in all of these stages, do you add the flavors that make the beers so specific? That's a funny question, because I would have asked the same question before I got involved in the process. Um, and it happens at so many different points, mm-hmm. right? So like the malts that you choose are going to either make it sweeter or add you can add lactose and if you add lactose you're usually doing that on the hot side so before it goes into the fermenter and lactose is not fermentable by yeast so anything any of any lactose that you add is going to like either add to mouthfeel as well as a little bit of sweetness what would you Um, add sorry to interrupt what would you add lactose to what what was a beer that you that you would add your favorite hazy ipa you could add some lactose to I love those mm-hmm. hazy IPAs. Okay, so go mm-hmm. ahead. So it's just, it's all different sort of stages in the beer making process. Right, and so then you're adding like different hops uh, on in the brewery side. And then let's say when you go into the uh, fermenter and we do a dry hop. So the yeast is doing its thing, having a good time making making alcohol. 
And then uh, once it's done doing that, you can throw in these things called T90 pellets. And I don't know if you're, you've ever seen those. They're just little green mm-hmm. pellets that look like something you would put in like a rabbit's cage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds and, yummy. Yeah, it's so great. And so you do this, you like set this up and you basically like chuck these pellets in. And what they're doing is they're adding a lot of aromatics hmm. uh, and a lot of like that really fresh hop smell that you get when you're drinking say like a pale ale or an IPA okay uh, yeah and the process is different for different beers or is it all pretty much the same so not every beer gets dry hopped okay. and genuine gen you're probably going to dry hop most IPAs our fresh squeeze is not dry hopped which is kind of funny because you get so much hot character out of that yeah but it's it's not dry hopped um, you, yeah, the process is different for different beers. You've also got different, uh, yeasts for different beers, which will also change the flavors, right? So if we're doing a lager, uh, you're going to ferment a little bit colder. You're not going to get all these things called esters and yeasts produce these extra flavors depending on their strain. Um, that can be fruity. They can be a little bit spicy, uh, with lagers. They're usually very, very clean. Yeah, for sure. Where do you guys get your hops from? Uh, a variety of farms. We've got Haas. Like we'll just, it really just depends on which uh, which one we're using, right? So I think that's where a lot of like the variability comes from is like which uh, variety, hop variety are we using for which beer? So we've got like Citra, Mosaic. We have some Eldorado. We've got just like hops all over the place yeah. coming from different, coming from different uh, facilities. Are they all Oregon hops or are you getting them from across the country? A lot of them are Oregon, Washington, and Idaho hops. Idaho, okay. And I know we did a story, I want to say maybe a year or two ago, about a shortage in hops that they were hard to find. Is that accurate? Do you know? Yeah, that definitely is accurate. There was a huge spike in demand. I think it probably coincided with a lot of uh, one of the largest years for breweries opening. And probably one of the largest years for beer sales. Um, and so between that and I would assume there was probably something to do with like the weather, like hops are very sensitive mm-hmm. and uh, really need to be like babied. So if there was some sort of like issue with that, that would also uh, it, with an increased demand, that would be problematic. Yeah. Seems like there's a theme beer. It has to be it has to be babysat while it's in. The brew house, mm-hmm. the hops have to be very treated delicately. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of babying yeah. going on with with our beer. And you know, when love. you're malting barley too, that also needs a lot of attention. So when you're what? I'm sorry. When you're malting the barley, so you're creating the sugars mm. uh, that you that we need in order to make the beer. Right. Very delicate. That's why it's so good. I think maybe. Um, it's also. Totally an agricultural product, which is what I try to like tell people about beer. Like, yeah, maybe you taste a couple of like differences, but like it's because you're, it, it is totally a food product. Absolutely. 100%. Um, and I love the fact that you guys use city water because as you said, Oregon water, there's nothing like it in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I went on no shade to Utah, but I went on vacation there recently and I was like, oh, this water is very different from the water that I'm drinking in Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. I lived for a few years in Las Vegas and you have to treat mm-hmm. the water that you drink and that you shower in, that you everything. You have to have a water treater in your house and it's just, ugh. sorry, Vegas. You're, you're known for many yeah. great things. Water is not one of them. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about then in the brew house right now, you said there's a skeleton crew. How has the pandemic, the last few months, how has that changed things? I know you've you've just been there a little over a year, but you were probably cooking, cranking along, and then March happens. Right, yeah, we were, uh, there was a lot of changes. We adjusted our expectations for how many barrels we were going to be brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, those have honestly been blown out of the water. People have like, been buying beer which has really been amazing so yeah. we've been very busy um yeah just trying to be flexible and trying to be understanding of the situations everyone's in uh currently we all wear masks at, at work all the time uh at this point mm-hmm. um 
we have bleach bottles everywhere all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, honestly, I think a lot of us are pretty thankful that we worked the entire time. None of us, mm. we, we didn't stop production at, at any point. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so it's been really. And I was going to ask, did production ever stop? But you guys, you said you went into it thinking, oh, we're probably going to have to cut production down a bit. And the exact opposite happened. Yeah. Well, we did, we did adjust our numbers and with the new numbers, we've been, uh, blowing past them, but yeah, we definitely thought we were going to have to stop production. We definitely, uh, our crew was trimmed down, um, Lot, handful of layoffs, which was our all of Deschutes had to deal with a handful of uh, layoffs across the board, as a lot of other companies had to work with that. So that was kind of our lead into it. Um, we were not sure if brewers would be going to be considered essential workers early on. So we were all kind of walking around mm-hmm. unsure of if we are going to be coming to work in the next week or how we were going to shut down production. Like, because we had actively fermenting beer in the cellar. We had like things that needed to be done. And if we had to just shut, if we had to just shut everything down, like, and no one was allowed to go in, like, I don't know what would have just been a lot of waste. Huge um, waste. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, well, I'm glad you guys did not stop production. Um, I think you're very essential <laughs> to, to getting <laughs> through a pandemic, right? What do you need when you get through a pan- pandemic, an ice cold beer? Uh, that's right. Right. Do you, is there a beer that you guys make that you just feel like you're making it all the time? Is it like fresh squeeze? Like what's, what's the, one of the most popular ones? Fresh squeeze is pretty much one of our top sellers. We make it all the time. Honestly, fresh haze has like come through this pandemic and we have been selling so much fresh haze as well. So fresh haze. I don't know if I've ever tried that one, but Fresh squeezed, yes. I'm a, I'm a very big fan. Have there been any major faux pas since you've been there, like that you can laugh about now, like things that happened? Are you guys pretty much on it all the time? We, well, not we. They have dialed in the process really, really well. Like there's, there's so many ways to catch a mistake in so many situations where like it can be caught before it is a catastrophic problem right right so Uh, go ahead and uh because of our size which is really amazing i and i don't think a lot of like smaller breweries really realize this but because we've got so much volume like a small mistake doesn't necessarily come through flavor wise and Mm -hmm. if you say someone threw the wrong hops in a beer you and like you could taste the difference usually you can blend beer well enough that like it tastes exact. It can taste exactly the way that you were expecting it to taste originally. Interesting. So have you ever tasted something that you guys have made and you're like, well, someone forgot fill in the blank. I have not yet. Okay. Thankfully that would be problematic. (laughs) Have you had to, have you guys had to dump anything because it just wasn't to Deschutes standards since you've Um, been there? Since I have been there, we haven't dumped anything because it wasn't to standard. We've dumped things more because they were not selling. So like when oh. I first got there, I don't know if you remember the Brute, one of the Brute IPAs that we did. Brute IPA. No. Brute IPA was like, had a very small shining moment in the beer industry. <laughs> what is and, a Brute um, IPA? What is that? So you use a yeast that is very dry, very bubbly, uh, like highly carbonated beer. Um, okay. and it basically, it consumes all of the, for all of the fermentable sugar. So it's a very dry beer. Okay. I'm thinking like champagne, like bubbles. Yeah. Like a brute, like a brute champagne, like, but you just imagine some hops in there. Okay. Not good. I think. We thought people liked Brute IPAs more than people ended up liking Brute oh, IPAs. Ouch. Like they sold, they sold a lot, I think, originally because of a novelty of them and like being, it's a new style and like people are discovering it and like, you know, hazy IPAs were a new style and then they took off like crazy. So like the Brute IPA could have been that next one. And I think it just ended up like not being that style for the beer industry. Okay. Does it hurt when, when some of that has to get dumped out? Oh, absolutely. Do you guys cry? (laughs) You're just like, oh, well, there it goes. I guess we're going to treat that and uh, send it back. That's sad. Um, 
I do want to wrap up just a little bit, but what is your advice to people? I mean, I know on one of my trips to Bend, I was with some friends who they're like, we're not beer drinkers. And I was like, well, that sucks for you. We're going to Deschutes because I'm in Bend and that's what you do. And they ended up yeah. doing a tasting and there was like three or four beers that they tasted that they loved. Right. So flights are a pretty decisive uh, thing amongst brewers. Um, I am all about beer education. Mm -hmm. And so I think that flights are an amazing opportunity for people who like to with it's a low commitment and you can try it. And if you don't like it, that's okay. Also talking to the bartenders, like they're super knowledgeable, asking them any questions, asking them for tasters and just being curious about the beer is really like one of the best ways to start tasting things that you might like, because right now there's such a wide variety of flavors and like some will say beer doesn't taste like beer right now. And there's a lot of styles out there that like are not what you would expect them to taste like. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, I mean, even those hazies, right? Like that, some of those came along and it's just this crazy cool beer that it's, you can't see through it. You know, it's not clear. And, and a lot of people are, I mean, I don't want to say scared of them, but there's just like, ugh, this looks like it wasn't filtered and there's like gunk in it. Right. Right. Definitely. It's one of those things where I'll pour a glass of that and be like, Oh, I'm ready to have my orange juice for the day. because <laughs> It does not taste bitter. It's super sweet, super full bodied. Yeah. Hazies are good. I like it. Um, well, Jessica, thanks for the education, the beer education. I hope it helps them. Yeah, for sure. It did for me. Um, but let's wrap up, get to the final three. Uh, best advice you've ever been given. So um, my old college president, he would always say this thing and he always had this, what he would say was, uh, do your best, be your best, no regrets. And he'd say this to us all the time in every speech that he would give. Hmm. And like, I have decently high standards. So like the do your best, be your best. I was like, yeah, I got that. I've already heard that plenty of times in my life, but he would say this no regrets thing. And I was like, you know, I think that like living your life in such a way that you're setting yourself up to have no regrets is one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received. That's the whole reason I went to beer school, the whole reason I'm where I'm at right now and why I'm like feeling very fulfilled and happy to go to work every day. Right. Even on that graveyard shift. Even on graveyard. <laughs> uh, what's your happy place? Oh, give me a give me a back porch, a beer in my hand, and let's play some cribbage. And I will be happy anytime we do that. Play what? I'm sorry. Cribbage. Cribbage. Uh, mm -hmm. Nope, never heard of it. What uh, is that? It's a card game. Uh, it's, it's a card game and you've got a board with pegs and basically the board keeps track of the score and okay. the person with the most points, the person that gets to like 121 points is the one that wins. Okay. Is this a new game or is this a game that's been around for a long time? Oh, it's like, it's uh, definitely been around for a long time. Huh. It's one of those games that your grandparents teach you. Oh, great. Well, I'm missing out. I got to go find the rules and learn how to play cribbage. Yeah. And you said beer in hand. What's your favorite beer right now? Does it change? It does change. Um, you know, right now we, I'm on the tail end of Luna Joe and I know it's a Deschutes beer, but we made this coffee lager that I just really, really loved. It was totally uh, a light beer and like the coffee flavor shined through, but it was not, uh, not overwhelming and it was super refreshing. Luna Joe, is it still in production or is it a seasonal thing? It was a seasonal. It was a, uh, one of our earlier seasonals this year. Okay. Is it going to come back? TBD. <laughs> Dang it. Okay. I feel like I have this, I have this direct connection now with you and Deschutes. You're probably like, oh, great. Yeah. But it's like, nah, I have your email now. So if I have a question about Deschutes, I'll bug you. I would encourage you to do that. I love answering beer questions. I think that that's like, that's super fun when people are curious. Yeah. Well, and especially again with Deschutes, there's just it's such a popular brewery, and there's others, obviously, some very popular, mm -hmm. successful breweries across uh, the country. But yeah, there's just something about Deschutes. Um, final meal, final drink, Jessica, what would that look like? Final meal, um, I'm, I'm pretty simple, I think. I just, I love a good ribeye. So mm. get me a medium rare ribeye and some Brussels sprouts. And I'll take a, just a baked potato with that. Yeah, girl. And uh, my final drink is this cocktail called a last word. 
Okay. What is it? And got gin, uh, Luxardo maraschino liqueur, which does just taste like kind of like maraschino cherries, but better. Um, but way better. Yeah. <laughs> um, and lime juice and a, a liqueur called char- green chartreuse. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I love about this drink is that the chartreuse has like 500 herbs and spices in this liqueur. Right. And like only it's produced in France and only two monks at any given time know the recipe of this uh, of this liqueur. And it's like one of my favorite things. It's super complex, pretty herby, herbal and uh, earthy. Fantastic. That's quite a good final meal and final drink. I like it. And no beer. You wouldn't no. have any beer in your final final meal? I mean, you give me one drink, so <laughs> you can I mean, have my two. second drink would definitely be a beer. <laughs> okay, yeah. I was just going to say, it's your final day. You can do whatever you want. Awesome. Right. Um, and for uh, for anyone who has any questions about Deschutes, I just pop onto their website, right? Absolutely. Pop okay. on our website. Also, look at our uh, our Instagram mm-hmm is a pretty good way of communicating uh, things that are going on. It is. And we've got an Instagram for both pubs as well. So there's just information everywhere. Fantastic. Um, are you guys doing tours right now or is that stopped? We're still not doing tours um, because of all the right all well, the regulations. Hopefully that's uh, TBD as well, because I know that's a great way to learn and just to see kind of like, you know, the wizards behind the curtain. Absolutely. And seeing a production facility of our size or something like that is, uh, I think, really an amazing experience. Okay. So for the thirsty folks out there, follow Deschutes on Instagram, and you can also visit their website. Jessica Cruzan, thank you so much. I so appreciate your time. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast on Apple's podcast app or Spotify, just subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. You can also watch it at ktvl.com. And on YouTube, just search Offscript with Trish Close. One more time, Jessica Cruzan, brewer at Deschutes Brewing. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, Trish.